0: Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tikowski. Welcome everyone to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. Today, we are finally diving into another very highly regulated industry uh, and politically complicated uh, to boot. That's right, everyone. Today, we are talking about cannabis. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Simon Wolf. That's Wolf with two Fs. And if we've learned anything in 2020, it's that taking care of ourselves and our mental health is more important than ever. That's why I, in particular, love Simon Wolf. Their CBD products are at the intersection of cutting edge technology and the next generation of wellness. Uh, they make all kinds of cool stuff, and they're definitely not what you're used to. So you can find them at Simon Wolf, that's 2Fs.com, or on Instagram at, at Simon Wolf. Thank you so much for your support for today's episode. So, Slowly, and I mean slowly, everyone here in the United States, much like our fragmented regulatory approach to many things, state by state, city by city, municipality by municipality, the rules around the business of weed are complex, confusing, and constantly changing. Our guest today is Amanda Ostrowitz, Chief Strategy Officer at Philo, which recently acquired Amanda's reg tech company Canaregs. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks for having me. So, Amanda, before we get into the weeds, huh, see, what, see what I did there? I'd well love played. to hear. I, you know, it's, it's like hashtag mom joke, hashtag lawyer joke. I don't know. I try. I'd actually love to hear more about your background and your path as a founder. So if I'm not mistaken, you began in government, correct? Yeah, so I'm actually an attorney by background. and um, lawyers. (laughs) Two lady lawyers. Two lady lawyers on the podcast today, folks. Right? I figured out how to make being a lawyer
1: even nerdier with that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so my background uh, was in law and in uh, banking regulatory law. And the last job I actually had prior to starting the company was at the Federal Reserve Bank. So definitely a huge change. And I, I laughed, but some friends told me there that after I, I left the Fed that they saw that I was in cannabis and somebody put something up on a bulletin board and wrote rogue across it. So uh, pretty comical in the difference of these industries, but I'm not the only former Federal Reserve regulator who's now in the cannabis industry. I am the only one, though, with a regta company.
0: Awesome. So you're Philo now, you were Canaregs. Tell us about what Canaregs was, why you saw the need to, to start it, uh, and then we'll get into your super fun acquisition.
1: Absolutely. So Canaregs is, um, well, let's just start with the how and why, but basically what we are is a regulatory intelligence platform uh, that. And regulates all cannabis law and regulation from the federal level down to the municipal level, but not just law and regulation, any publication from a government. In fact, even every government meeting where the subject of cannabis comes up. But how did I end up there? Well, it actually started with the banking law. Uh, When I was in law school, I was interning and doing uh, banking regulatory work, and I was constantly doing 50-state surveys and dealing with federal law, and I'd always hated the way that law was organized because I felt like these old-guy attorneys had a huge advantage on me of knowing where stuff was. Like, the fact that maybe I was looking for a loan disclosure for a 30-year fixed-rate conventional mortgage would have never taken me to the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act. So I just had to live with lists of acronyms and where they were in the Code of Federal Regulations. And it always frustrated me, but it was what it was. Well, flash forward about a year and a half later, and I'm doing some research on the cannabis banking issues. And, you know, and there, are of just few, being-
0: there are just a few of those, right? Just a few, just a few.
1: <laughs> but, you know, of course, being the regulatory nerd that I am, I go all the way down the rabbit hole, and I end up finding myself at the municipal level. And at first, I'm in Denver, and I'm like, wait, there's not just, like, separate laws in Denver from the next city over, but it's not just a couple ordinances. There's, like, policies from the fire department, from the health department, from excise and licensing, and there was, I was just baffled and uh, it was really disorganized. And then I went over to the next city, Boulder, and Boulder actually had fewer agencies involved, but it was actually pretty clean how they organized stuff there, but it was totally different laws. And I just had this aha moment where I, I just couldn't fathom that there was no one place where all this information existed because, you know, we had Lexis and Westlaw, like, in the past, and even in banking, we had a platform that had all the laws and regulations. It wasn't per se searchable, not with any ease, unless you memorized where everything was, but this was a much bigger problem to me. And um, I thought, okay, well, not only is this a a cannabis problem, this is a local law problem, but cannabis is definitely the fastest-paced industry at the time and probably still is when it comes to local. So I thought, let's try to tackle this local law problem through cannabis.
0: So I want to stop you for a second because I do think it's important because we, we've we talked about banking and finance a lot on Tech on Reg, um, and we've talked about other highly regulated industries, but we haven't yet been able to talk about cannabis. And I think it would really benefit the audience if you could you know, just take a moment. And talk about really the true nature of the complexities involved in the cannabis industry. I think most listeners are aware that you need licenses to grow and to sell and to distribute. And obviously that changes state by state, but we go way beyond licenses, right?
1: Absolutely. Every single aspect of the cannabis industry is regulated and it's federally illegal nature just lends itself to more regulation. There's a bunch of industries out there that are highly regulated all the way down to the state level and even the local level, but they usually start with a federal framework. And then, you know, states come in and create more restrictive programs and rules around it, and then cities create more restrictive rules on top of that. But when you're talking about cannabis, there is no federal framework. And these states have legalized one at a time. So each state has created their own programs and they're all completely different. You talk about licensing and that's one thing. Some states require you to have a city license and a state license. Some only require a state license and some have unlimited numbers versus restricted numbers. And so each different state is an entirely different program. And in fact, there's no no,
0: regulation. Yeah, there's no uniformity even to the types of licenses across states, right? Nope, not at all. And, uh, you know, it's,
1: just to be able to track all this stuff, we have to learn how each state operates because they're all so different in their frameworks. So it's everything down to not just you know you start with a license, but it's every aspect of your business. It's you know what background checks do employees have to go through. How do we track every single plant from the time it's eight inches or bigger to the time it ends up in the hands of the consumer? How do seed we test pesticides?
0: That's what we call that. Yeah. We call that seed to sale.
1: I mean, think about it. Um, you know, we're not going from being, you know, post-prohibition, like, no alcohol to being allowed to have alcohol again. Like, we're starting at square one with this. And so entities that never even had to create laws to this effect are having to. For example, like, when it comes to pesticides, right, normally the EPA would be who regulates pesticides. But again, no federal framework. No help from the EPA. The state of Colorado actually wrote to the EPA and said, how would you guys uh, determine what a safe pesticide or not if you were doing this? And they're like, well, for combustion, we would look at it like tobacco. Uh, for consumables, we'd look at it like food. But it just goes to show you there's so much nuance, and states are having to figure out pieces of the puzzle they've never had to figure out before um, because of this disparity between the federal illegality and the individual state programs.
0: I have to imagine that makes scaling a business in the cannabis industry wildly difficult.
1: Not only does it make it wildly difficult, it makes it wildly expensive because, for example, you know the packaging and labeling laws, you know the no one's ever going to get it right on their first try. We always tell regulators that. You guys got to start somewhere and then it's iterative. They're going to always keep changing because this is brand new, right? There's no way if they if, if the government tried, to get it right the first time, they would still get it wrong and it would take forever.
0: And there's also no, right, like there's no past benchmark to measure it to. It's not like you have this body of case law that lawyers are used to operating in where you can look to precedent and get a sense of what's okay versus what's not okay. That doesn't exist here.
1: None whatsoever. So just one little example of like how you can lose so much money is about packaging and labeling because the requirements change So much, but think about it from the perspective of a company. It costs them about the same price to get a thousand, you know, packages to use as two hundred thousand. Because when you're ordering in bulk, you get better deals. But businesses can't even order in bulk because half that stuff is gonna go and get wasted when the packaging laws change again. So I can't tell you the number of cannabis facilities I've been in where you're like, what's that big old pile of boxes back there? And they're like, that's packaging that's no longer compliant. So like, even things like this make it so challenging to run the business because everything you would do as a normal business, the things you'd buy in bulk, the pro forma financials you would create around predictable factors, those don't exist. The only thing that is consistent in cannabis is change. So, and
0: tell us how Canaregs aim to solve that problem.
1: Yeah, so what Canaregs tries to do is take all the pain of finding law, staying up to date, getting ahead of changes off your hands, so that you're empowered with the correct information you need to run your business day to day, rather than dedicating a disproportionate amount of time to research. And we do that by tracking every single time a government even talks about the subject of cannabis so you know if you are on top of things you might see in a certain meeting that they're talking about oh well in six months we're also going to readdress packaging laws and you can make a business decision accordingly not to order too much packaging if we're going to you know stick with that example Um, but moreover a lot of states deal with a dual license process Where you have to have a local license in order to get a state license. And how each city goes about that process is entirely unique. Some cities it's a first come first serve basis and others it's a lottery and others they do competitive applications and the real key to winning these licenses is getting ahead of them. Moreover, Real estate gets really, really expensive once people become aware that they have a building that might be in an area that's about to become zoned for cannabis. And so another key critical thing is to get ahead on the real estate. So by tracking government in the way we do, we can track the first time a city even talks about the subject of cannabis. So, for example, there was one city in Michigan this week where it said, you know, Informational only item, discussion on potential formulation of a cannabis ordinance. Now, that's like the early stage stuff that enables business owners to make decisions and get ahead of and influence policy outcomes accordingly. Right. Um, There's a but, it,
0: puts, it puts a city or municipality on a business's radar. Should this be something we continue to track or is this not in a jurisdiction that we would ever consider doing business in? And then you can get sort of a little bit of, of insight into that. I'm really curious. So I'm, you're based here in Chicago now, is that right? I am indeed. So Chicago state of Illinois, as you know, went through its first sort of licensing application process here in the year of 2020, and what an interesting year it's turned out to be. But did you (laughs) have- To say the least. (laughs) To say say the absolute least, did you have clients sort of relying on uh, your product as they were going through the recent Illinois application cycles? Absolutely, and even more that
1: will need us when it's done. And here's the thing we have a lot of. Because, um, by the way, fun, fun
0: fact everyone, it's super not done. <laughs> it's, it's super <laughs> not done. Um, there was a little global pandemic that sort of gotten in the way uh, of a lot of licensings uh, being issued after applications were submitted in January. So, what are we looking at? It's July right now. By the time this episode airs, yeah, we'll still be in July. So, I think like a handful of the 75 that were supposed to be issued have actually been issued. So, you know, it's slow going here, but but hopefully the process is underway.
1: Well, and Illinois is really unique. So, um, you know, there's a ton of MSOs that are headquartered here in Chicago and they've been using our software for years, not just to get ahead of licensing, but really to deal with day-to-day compliance because the way we've organized and tagged the information, remember before how I said, You know, what I wanted never drove me to answers. Well, I could say, now, I need to know in Illinois, at the state level, what do the regulations say about application and licensing or packaging and labeling? And I can answer these day-to-day questions in a fraction of the time. So these multi-state operators who are doing business across not just many cities but many states, uh, they otherwise would be spending an inordinate amount of time trying to just find stuff that should be easy because they're just managing too many jurisdictions of law. So those guys have been using our software for a while, but there's a bunch more people that have actually submitted an intent to use their software um, with their applications in Illinois. But Illinois is really, really unique. And what they did with social equity here was really interesting. So there's a huge movement in the cannabis world to Undo some of the harms that were done by the war on drugs, in that Black and Brown people were disproportionately arrested and convicted of marijuana crimes, mostly nonviolent crimes, um, compared to white. And unfortunately, it's a very cash-intensive industry, and a lot of those people have been left behind. So now we're legalizing what put them in jail, or you know, caused them some sort of setback in life. And they're being left behind. Now, it's really challenging to come up with a good program, and many cities across the country are working on it. But what Illinois did that was really unique was it allowed people to apply for retail dispensaries without having identified real estate. In most states, you have to identify the real estate and show proof of a lease. In order to apply for a dispensary license, but to have that and to sit on that kind of real estate is really expensive and it was disproportionately leaving behind those most affected on the war on drugs. And it's turned out to be one of the luckiest things that's ever happened to people because, well, the goal was once you win a license, theoretically, you could go raise the capital you would need to... secure real estate, right? I think, I think and,
0: there's, a, there's a time period on that though. So I, I know, yes. I know the, the real estate component was a very significant part of how marijuana ended up uh, or adult use cannabis was legalized in Illinois in the first place. The bill wasn't going to get passed or signed by Governor Pritzker without that social equity component. The real estate provisions were a massive part of that, particularly because of the expen- the outlay of capital that was required to secure that property. Uh, but I do think there is sort of a 90-day window, right? So if you, are yeah. in- if you are informed that, hooray, you were awarded one of the few precious licenses uh, for dispensaries that were available, you only had, I think it's just 90 days. Now yeah. that, I-, I can see maybe in- uh, Drives you to us because wow. you
1: have 90 days to figure out where, what cities are going to allow you to have that real estate as well. So that's one where we'll come in. but what a blessing it's been that they did this because imagine right we were supposed to have decisions on who the winners were of these dispensaries like april almost a few months ago yeah Yeah. and imagine having sat on that real estate all this time during the pandemic when you wouldn't have been able to even begin construction or open your doors per the executive orders so i think it's interesting how they're all so different and these unintended unintended benefits actually have come about by that real
0: estate exception in Illinois? Well, at least there's one. And for those uh, listeners who don't know, (laughs) uh, the social equity application process also, it was a sort of a very unique point system that the state enabled to basically um, create some diversity and equal footing within the application process to ensure that not all of the applications for licenses and only licenses were awarded you know, to large corporate entities who had been already operating. This was really an attempt to open the door to new industry participants and diversify the industry as a whole. So hats off to JB and the state of Illinois for for doing that. I'm super interested to see how the licenses turn out to see if this point system actually worked, right?
1: Yes, hopefully it doesn't end up in the same kind of litigation the Missouri licenses
0: have. Oh, well, you know, it, we, we are still in Illinois <laughs> after all. <laughs> you, you, never know, you never know what's going to happen here. So it sounds like the product itself, Canner Eggs, it was cloud-based, yes, mm-hmm. and just a, a regular, a very simple subscription model, right?
1: Absolutely. And it still is a simple subscription model, but nothing about what we do in it is simple.
0: But for us, for us users, for us consumers. So a great example, I'm the managing partner of a law firm. I would be a client, right? I would be a subscriber relying on sort of your curated database of very easy, searchable, easy to interact with rules and regs. And I could use that in order to advise my clients should I choose to do that.
1: Yeah, 100%. We have, like, three kind of big groupings of customers. And our largest client base is absolutely law firms. And then the cannabis operators, although within the cannabis operators, about half the users are lawyers. And then the last group I kind of call the mixed Miscellaneous bag is the consulting firms, the lobbying firms, the actual governments themselves, um, as well as other technology companies who need access to this information and real estate developers.
0: Do but, the other government uh, what, bodies just like want to see what their neighbors are doing? Is that kind of a. a believe it or not, they don't actually
1: all want to start from scratch. So they can see what you know a hundred different cities have done on order control or social equity policy and they can cross compare deciding on here are the topics that we care about uh let's see what others have done and of course they're always looking at you know certain jurisdictions they trust as their trusty neighbors and also looking at what's worked and what hasn't so it's actually really exciting when we see government you know using tools and data to make policy i think one of the really interesting things. Data to make policy.
0: Can you say that again? Hashtag data Data. to make policy.
1: Actual data to make policy decisions.
0: I love it. So fast fast forward a little bit, uh, you create this reg tech company to solve this massive industry problem in the cannabis industry. And then you meet a company named Philo. Tell us yeah. about that. tell us about that transaction. Absolutely,
1: and just to take it back one step in between, what's really exciting about the story with Dilo is Dilo has always understood um, and agreed with the vision I had for Canaregs. And the, and the real the real vision I had behind the scenes once we started building this was that it could apply to any highly regulated industry that was hyper local in nature because nobody before had ever figured out how to comprehensively track local governments. We're not talking about 50 states. We're talking about 40,000 local governments who all publish law in their own unique way, in their own unique format, on their entirely different websites and uh, extremely fast timelines. So I'd always planned to go out and raise some capital to, and granted, we'd raised a couple million, but we'd bootstrapped the company from two people to 17 just off of revenue. Then we raised $2 million and we grew it to 35 people. And my next step was to go out, and raise $10 million so I could build out a rock star C suite, a rock star dev team, and a really strong marketing arm and scale this in a way where it could go to any industry, not just cannabis. And then approaches Philo. And Philo basically approaches me to talk about some data. They, they quickly tell me, though, you know. Honestly, we just want to buy you. And it was interesting because a lot of people had approached us, but just from the very first call, I knew these guys were different. I was on a plane and seeing them within under a week and a half from them. And it was so clear. Not only did they have the rockstar dev team I needed and the rockstar C-suite, they also had the capital, and they understood my vision entirely. But most importantly, they needed our data for their platform as well. And we just we knew it after our first meeting that it was one plus one equals four. And from there we started working on the deal.
0: Oh my gosh. I love to hear about female founders, like kicking a and taking names. It makes, like, it makes my heart happy. So you're, not enough. <laughs> absolutely. It, it doesn't, it doesn't happen often enough, but it's also, why I honestly think it's so important to highlight stories like yours, because it's, uh, I'm a female founder too. It's super important to me. So hats off to you, Philo. Uh, You got a good one here.
1: I feel very grateful to all the people who, you know, I was able to ask questions of and receive help from as a female founder. So I think it's the thing that I can do most is I can never pay all those people back, but I try to help as many, female founders as I can and female you know, executives looking to transition in the cannabis space. I have a call with one set up tomorrow. And she's like, why would you take um, a call with me? I'm like, we need all the smart, strong women we can in this space. Of course, I'm going to talk to you and give you a few ideas. So it is really exciting
0: to be in tech and a female in
1: tech and an industry that inherently is also quite male dominated.
0: Yeah, we need to form our little lady army. I love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would like you to take a moment and suspend reality and pretend pretend that cannabis has been decriminalized at the federal level. No more schedule 1 substance. Is that the magic needed to make the regulatory structure less complex?
1: Well, here's the thing. Whether it's federally decriminalized or federally legalized and regulated, It's not going to change the complexity. What it will do is it'll create access to banking and hopefully create normal business deductions because we have a problem called 280E, which doesn't allow cannabis businesses to take normal and ordinary business expenses other than their cost of goods sold. So those would be the two huge impacts, but it would not make it any less complex. If you look around and you're in a major city and you see those scooters, right, that you can rent, Those are federally legal and clearly not federally criminal, but they're also regulated differently by every single city you walk into. And so what would happen to a company like ours with federal legalization or decriminalization, it would just mean that more states come on board with their unique individual programs and And more cities are creating laws. laws and regulations. And it's actually just more work and more complexity and more quantity. So for us as a business, that's great uh, for lawyers trying to navigate it on their own. Not as exciting.
0: Uh, but for industry, that would obviously alleviate some of the additional burden that operating within the cannabis industry automatically carries with it today, right? Absolutely.
1: And not just from like a legal ramifications perspective. But like right now, because you can only be licensed in certain places and you can't Cross-state lines, lots of companies have to have duplicative items, like they need a distribution center in California and one for their Missouri business and one for their Illinois business. And maybe a California one doesn't make sense at a certain point if you can travel across the country, right? And so maybe more cultivation moves to the middle of the country where it could more logically be distributed from. Granted, there's always gonna be a craft, like a craft market for everything, but I think it's gonna change a lot of how these businesses infrastructure is worked because they're actually going to be able to move product around the country and also take advantage of cities that are more welcoming. You know, when you look at California right now, California is particularly unique because they passed medical in 1996, but the state of California at the time said, okay, cool, this is happening, but we don't want to have anything to do with it. So you local governments, you figure it out. And the local governments figured it out, created their own tax regimes and everything. But then, you know, come 2016, the state of California starts regulating as well. It was like, because me they too, know me too. To someone, yeah, me, right?
0: me, and then me as too. We don't want to be left, left out. At, tax and revenue. Tax. We sort of need that. Hello, right? Illinois. Oh my, and, and by the way, if there were any doubt about why Illinois ended up where it is, all you need to do is look at a receipt from a dispensary and take a look at the taxes. And we're in a little bit of a, fire, a, fiscal, a fiscal pickle here in the great state of Illinois yeah. that cannabis is hoping to help. And so, you know, in
1: California, there's a lot of jurisdictions with untenable tax rates, but cannabis businesses, to operate somewhere and it has to be in that state in one of these localities and again you know businesses will when there's the ability to go anywhere will go where they're incentivized to go right and Local governments will operate much more on the fundamentals of does this business bring jobs to our town? Does it bring ordinary revenue to our town? Does it bring people who decide to move to our town and increase the value of real estate and shop at our grocery stores and eat at our restaurants? Like, What is the general economic impact as opposed to how much can we tax and bleed these businesses for?
0: So let's fast forward to November 2020. And do you anticipate, in the event of an administration change, the potential decriminalization of cannabis?
1: I anticipate it regardless of which uh, regime is in charge. And the reason being is that I, I do think that, quite honestly, I think that Trump may, at the 11th hour, if he feels he's losing might throw out an executive order to do precisely that. And I think at bare minimum, uh, maybe pass something similar to the States Act or State Banking Act um, at greatest, potentially legalized all the way around
0: or decriminalize. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be fascinating if you tried to get votes with the weed?
1: I mean, look. Absolutely he's fascinating. He's happy to flip-flop on anything if it means vote.
0: Well, you said it, not me.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's just... <laughs> politicking, you know. (laughs) But um, I think with the next administration, if the the Democrats take over, I think it could take a little bit of time. And, you know, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. I would have said a year ago um, before COVID that it would probably not come in in a major way until uh, if a Democrat won their second term. But now I think that that's all accelerated because COVID, I think, is going to be a huge catalyst in that we are facing, you know, unprecedented unemployment rates, uh, a huge you know, downturn in industry. And I think a lot of states and communities that were once on the fence about the subject are now seeing the economic value that it can bring, that, you know, the pure revenue it can bring. And so I think we're looking at a different situation now that will make it come along much faster Across multiple states and at the federal level,
0: it, it is funny that you mentioned COVID, though, because in all of the work that Congress did to re-energize or try to, you know, boost the economy momentarily through the CARES Act and the PPP program, there was a large swath of industry that was left out of that support, and cannabis was one of them.
1: Absolutely the cannabis industry was deemed essential in a lot of places. So in many ways it didn't need as much support, um, as other industries, but certainly, you know, I think there's a lot more to it than just cannabis being illegal. Everything is politicking. And usually if things, you know, if one plus one should equal two, but it does not, the answer is usually money and lobbyists.
0: It's so (laughs) fast. It's so fascinating to me because you're right. In many areas, cannabis businesses were deemed essential businesses. And at the same time, the federal government is saying, your state might think you're essential, but you are not worthy of any of these stimulus funds. And there you have it. God bless America.
1: Not been easy for anyone and certainly not easy in the cannabis space. And it was super unfortunate. But I guess I'm just not surprised by much anymore.
0: No, that's 100% right. Well, we are, we're getting, you know, we're getting close to the end of our time. Amanda, I just want to say, congr- like, thank you for being on the show. Congratulations for building a rockstar reg tech company as a fellow reg tech founder and nerd. I, I heart it. And please keep us posted on, you know, what Philo's up to. Uh, if anyone, if anyone listening wants to learn more about your company, where do they go? So what they can do is they can go to hellofilo.com that's hellofyll
1: com and look up Cantorux. Um You can also find me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message, and I'll reach out. And I would love to hear from all the attorneys whose firms are finally allowing them to do cannabis law work now that all the other industries have slowed down.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time today, Amanda. And thank you again, Tech on Reg listeners for tuning in for our first cannabis episode. Woo. Um, Yeah. Double woo. I just became a woo girl. I just became a woo girl on international radio. Good for me. I, I mean, at least it's for cannabis. At least it's for cannabis and not something sillier. All right, everyone until next time.